Hello, Common Ground, as well as to our special guests, visitors joining us today. My name is Luke, and I'm thrilled to be able to share a message with you as we launch our Origins series. Let me just start by saying this. What a storm we have weathered and are weathering in our city. As you dial in today, I know we're all dialing in from different realities. I'm thinking uh, much and praying much for our medical staff, for our essential workers, and for school teachers and school staff as you go back to work on Monday morning. I'm so aware of the difficult and different realities that we're all facing. Man, many of us have lost family members and friends. We've missed out on moments with uh, one another as well as moments with wider loved ones. Many of us have lost income and uh, missed out on opportunities. And it's, it's not enough that these things have happened. It's been made worse because we've had to face these things in a kind of lockdown isolation, not able to be with the people who we would normally draw strength and courage and encouragement from in these times. And so I just wanna start by saying to those of us who are hurting and who are reeling through what's happening in COVID, I wanna use these words. When Paul would write letters to churches, he would open with this greeting time after time. He would say, grace and peace to you. Grace, not just grace that covers over our weaknesses and covers over our sins, but grace is God's empowering ability to enable us to be the the people He's called us to be. Grace comforts us. Grace meets us where we're at. And grace strengthens us where we are at. I pray grace to you and peace to you and all those you love. The truth is we've never faced a moment like this one before. Uh, The last 10 or 11 months, uh, it's a bit like something out of a sci-fi movie. And now we're living in this sci-fi movie. And it's been a time of disorientation. Many of us are starting to ask questions, the big questions of life. And so as leaders, we felt it timely to come back to the beginning, to go back to the origin of it all, back to the source. And we're going back to the early chapters of Genesis as we seek to take our direction, to take our, our, um, our next steps in this moment in light of the eternal truths of God. We're gonna be relocating ourselves into the great and grand story of who God is. If you're not a Christ follower, what a fortuitous and timely uh, moment to be joining us in a series. Uh, this is a great moment for you who are maybe not yet a follower of Jesus or you're still working out what you believe to, to ask, wh- how does Christianity answer these big questions of life? We're gonna be looking at the Bible's question, answers to the questions like, who is God? And uh, what is God like? Uh, who are we as human beings? And what are we here for? We're gonna look at uh, what went wrong with our world as we grapple with evil and suffering and even death before we come to the place where we see how will it all be put to right? These are the big questions of life and we're gonna be grappling with them as we journey through Genesis chapter one uh, and Genesis chapter two and Genesis chapter three over the next six weeks. You know, I've been thinking and uh, reading and it's become clearer to me that You know, it used to be that we were certain of God and we were certain of our worldview, but we were uncertain of ourselves. But it's probably true of the modern generation that we've we've never been more certain of ourselves and at the same time, uncertain about God and uncertain of our worldview. And what it's produced in us is an insecurity and a vulnerability and an anxiousness that I think this pandemic that we're facing is exposing. And so, so much of the frailty 
of ourselves. So much of this illusion of control has been burst by this COVID pandemic we're going through. And so it's timely to go back to the source as we rebuild our worldview, as we, we go back to the origin, to the beginning, to gain the ways and the wisdom of God and see where we fit in into the great narrative of all things to help us both navigate this moment with all of the possibilities so unpredictable before us and reorientate the rest of our lives around God and who he's created us to be. And so today is very introductory. Today we're answering the question, how did we get here? How did we get here? And we're gonna be looking at one verse, just one verse from the Bible, the first verse of the Bible uh, on December 24th, Christmas Eve, 1968, as the crew of the Apollo mission, the first mission to the moon, circumnavigated the moon and looked back on the earth. They read these famous words that we're about to read together. Let's read Genesis chapter one and verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word, we ask that you would enlarge our hearts, expand our vision to see you more clearly for who you are. We ask that you would bolster us with faith and cause our hearts to leap with a fresh awe again today. If you're not a Christ follower, say, God, would you speak to me? If you're real, speak to me and help me know more of who you are as I begin this journey of discovery. Amen. These 10 words, 10 words answer one of the most important questions in all of life. The question of how did we get here? And quite simply, Genesis chapter one, verse one teaches us that the universe had a beginning. There was a time when the universe was not. And then there was a moment and suddenly something happened and the universe began. And, and what this verse says to us is that it was God who was behind this moment. It was God who began the universe. I, I know there's much debate even amongst Christians about how God did it and how long God took to do it. But, but I put to you today, and this is the way we're going to go in our series, that Genesis is far more concerned about the who of creation than the how. And that's where we want to spend our time this morning. Genesis 1 verse 1 says the who of our universe is God. In fact, the word that it uses is the, the, the word Elohim. Elohim, which is interesting here um, because it's, it's been used in its plural form. Elohim in its plural form and not, I've been grappling with it a little, a little I've looked at commentaries and looked at what uh, far more uh, intelligent men and women have said about this than me. And, uh, and this is not so much a reference to the Trinity, but more that the writer is trying to use it as a literary device to showcase the majesty and the splendor of this great and glorious creator. Uh, the writer wants us to know that this creator God is the supreme God of the whole of the universe. Universe. We see this phrase there, um, the heavens and the earth, the heavens and the earth. God is the autonomous creator of the entirety of the universe. And the writer wants us to know that God is large and in charge and sovereign over all things. There is nothing, so we read this verse, that God is not over. From Table Mountain, right around the corner over here, 
to the far reaches of outer space and nebulas like the crab nebula we see together. God is over it all. There is nothing that he did not make. Stop for a second and allow the weight of that truth to anchor your soul. There's a further whisper here of a God who created with a plan in mind. You see the word used here for in the beginning. The word for beginning is used throughout the Old Testament as a, um, the first in a pair of paired words, beginning and end, beginning and end. Uh, time after time, this word is used as, as, a, as two words who make a couplet, if you will, beginning and end. And so for the original readers, they would have had this association in the back of their minds as they read this, in the beginning, but a beginning with an end in mind. Uh, it would would have been this association that would have spoken and really whispered to them of a God who had the end of the world in mind. Not the end of the world like the REM song, the end of the world as we know it, but the end as in the goal, the destination, the trajectory. When we begin to put this together, we see Genesis 1 verse 1 speaks of a God who is majestic and supreme, who is the creator of everything that is who is both large and in charge and began everything with a trajectory, a destination, a plan in mind. But worth stopping for a second and asking this question. If not God, then what? I mean, what are the other options? How many other options are there? If not God, then, then what? And, and, and I wanna spend some time exploring these three, this, this three major options. And I'm gonna say to you now, I'm drawing heavily on a man named Andrew Wilson, who's an outstanding writer, theologian, and Bible preacher, who's looked extensively at this and, and, and says that he believes there's really just three possibilities. There's really just three possibilities to how we and everything else came to be here. These three possibilities are blind luck, the multiverse, and uh, divine design. It's blind luck, the multiverse, or design. Those are the only three possibilities for how we came to be here. And so let's explore these. Option number one, blind luck. It was all just a stroke of luck. It might not have happened, Oh, but we're sure glad that it did. In other words, the universe and human beings are a lucky accident. Some of you watching, this may be what you believe. Certainly many people, friends and loved ones of ours whom we know would believe that, I don't know, maybe we just came to be here by luck. And I wanna ask you this question. Just how lucky are we? Just how lucky are we to be here? And I wanna to suggest to you today, probably way too lucky to be realistically possible. Scientists tell us that our universe, in order for our universe to be possible, there are, um, there are 15 constants that have to be exactly the right number and remain that way in order for our universe to be possible. When I say our universe, I don't mean people, I don't mean plants, I don't mean penguins and pangolins and elephants. I just mean our universe, the space and the stars and the galaxies and the planets requires 15 different independent constant. A constant is just a fancy word for a number that has to stay the same in order for our universe to be what it is. Let me let Francis Collins, uh, the, the head of the Human Genome Project that mapped DNA. These are his words. Let's read together. When you look from the perspective of a scientist at the universe, it looks as if it it knew that we were coming. 
There are 15 different constants, and then he lists them, but I'm not gonna bore you with those right now, that have precise values. If one of those constants was off by even one part in a million, or in some cases, by one part in a million million, the universe could not have actually come to the point where we see it. Matter would not have been able to coalesce or come together. There would have been no galaxy, no stars, no, no planets, and obviously no people. In other words, imagine with me that on the stage here, there are 15 roulette wheels, 15 ginormous roulette wheels, right? With each of these roulette wheels having 1 million possible numbers on them, right? A million, some a million, million, but just for the sake of simplicity, let's say a million numbers on these 15 different roulette tables, right? And you, uh, full of faith, because this is your lucky day, walk up to that first roulette wheel and you give it a massive, massive haul and it spins takes off at a rate of knots, this ball spinning with a million different possibilities and where it's gonna land and finally it starts to slow down. Tick, 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 tick. Boom, you hit it. It's the right number of a million different possibilities. It lands on exactly the right one. I mean, I mean one number of a million to the left and it's the end of the world, right? One to the right, it's the end of the world. But you hit the exact right one. Amazing, streamers, everything. And then you walk up to the second roulette wheel and you pull it again and tick, 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 the same thing, exactly the right, not one to the left, not one, exactly. Number three, number four, number 14, unbelievably lucky, you hit the right one. Then you come to number 15, right? 14 right numbers out of a million possibilities for each one. You've hit it every time. You come up to roulette wheel number 15 and you pull it the best pull you've ever pulled and it spins. Slice to slow down. Tick, 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 tick. Pull me the right one. Yep, tick. Oh, it's the end of the world. You see, even if all 14 were right and you come to that last one and it's one out of a million out, our universe ceases to exist. To say that it just happened without any kind of external force or direction or intervention, I don't think I have enough faith for that kind of luck. And I don't think you do either. Now, this doesn't prove that it's not true but it helps us understand something. The bottom line is our universe is incredibly fine-tuned for life. John Polkinghorn, who's a quantum physicist, he says it like this. For us to be possible requires a balance between the effects of expansion and contraction, which at a very early epoch in the universe's history, the Planck time, has to differ from equality by not more than one in 10 to the power of 60. Now this is gonna give you a window into just how good your maths is, right? One with 60 zeros. The numerate will marvel at such a degree of accuracy, right? Now, if you marveled, you're among the numerate, right? For the non-numerate, and this is where I find myself among us, I will borrow an illustration from Paul Davis of what that accuracy means. He points out that it's the same as aiming at a target an inch wide on the other side of the observable universe, 20,000 million light years away and hitting the mark. Just one of those 15 numbers. Stephen Hawking, who's not a Christian, said this. 
The odds against a universe that has produced life like ours are immense. It would be very difficult to explain why the universe should have begun in this way, except as, a, as the act of a God who intended to create beings like us. The bottom line is, when you look at our universe, luck just doesn't seem to cut it. There's so much more that's going on here. And so let's look at option two, the multiverse. The multiverse is the idea that there are billions, maybe even trillions of different universes. Each of these different universes have got different physical laws, right? And we just happen to live in the right one that where the physical laws are capable of sustaining life and a universe like ours. There are others out there, but they don't support life. We happen to be in the right one. Now this is a, I mean, it's a very extensive theory and uh, we don't have time, nor do I, if I'm really honest with you, have the intellect to be able to grapple with you around this. And so I want to point you, if this is you, or this is maybe someone you know and you feel this is just out of your depth, to two resources that speak about the multiverse. The first is the one called um, There Is a God, uh, How the World's Most Notorious Atheist Changed His Mind, Professor Anthony Flew. Now, um, really before Dawkins came along, the most famous atheist in the world was Professor Anthony Flew. And, uh, and then something happened where he had a change of mind and around 2004, and he wrote this book, There Is a God, worth reading. It's in this book that he engages with the idea of the multiverse. And then the next one is uh, by Keith Ward, who's a philosophy professor at King's College uh, in London, as well as a divinity professor at Oxford called Why There Almost Certainly Is a God. And both these books engage with the idea of the multiverse. Is it possible that there are trillions of universes outside of ours? It is possible, and it's very difficult to prove that it's not true. I mean, say I was to say to you, prove to me there's no unicorns. You say, well, I've never seen one. I say, maybe they're just invisible. It's, it's very hard to prove a negative. When you look at a world that is perfectly fine-tuned for life, you can conclude design or parallel universes. These are the only two alternatives. Professor John Leslie, engaging with this idea, said this, imagine that you were standing in front of a firing squad and there were a hundred trained marksmen in front of you, all taking aim at close distance at you. You're blindfolded and you hear the sound and they say, ready, aim, fire. You hear the sound and then Nothing. You check it out and one by one, they all walk off. Now, it's, it's, it's possible that there are billions of other executions happening the same moment on that day and you just happen to be in the one where all 100 expert marksmen missed. But that's probably not what you're gonna conclude. In all likelihood, you're gonna think that they were bribed or they were drunk or there was some or other intentional act behind what happened. Elvin Plantinger, he gives the example of a, um, a, a poker game happening in Vegas. And he says, a dealer deal, deals himself 20 straight pocket aces and you're sitting at the table. At that stage, you can conclude, well, there's probably billions of other poker games happening in this moment right now. And I'm sure one of them, there's a dealer fairly dealing himself 20 straight pocket aces. But that's probably not what you're gonna conclude. You're gonna conclude that this guy is cheating and he's taking my money, that there is design at work here, which brings us to our third option, the creator or design. 
Generally, when we see intricate design and we see fit for purpose, which is what we see when we look at our universe, when we look at our world, we conclude designer. For example, if you arrived in the parking lot uh, this morning or this evening and there in the parking lot was a beautiful Toyota Hilux, right? You could conclude that it's possible that there was option one luck. There was an explosion in a nearby steel factory causing bits of steel and metal and, and plastic and fabric to coalesce and come together in the perfect way so as to produce a beautiful Toyota Hilux. You could think that or you could conclude that there are millions of explosions happening in steel factories all over the world. And you just happen to stumble into the parking lot where the right, uh, the right one happened so as to form this hilux. But you probably would conclude that there was care and there was thought and there was intent behind someone who built that car and then intention behind someone else who drove it there. I put to you today, and I really want to do this humbly. I put to you today as you look at it, that design makes the most sense of the world in which we live in. And even non-Christians agree and think so as well. If you look at uh, Francis Crick, who discovered a very intelligent human being who discovered the double helix structure of DNA. He said, we're here, and, and his best stab as to how we got here was aliens. Which, which does beg the question though, well, then who made the aliens, right? Or Richard Dawkins, and agree, he, he agrees, not aliens, but he speculates that it was probably a superhuman designer. Dawkins actually says it this way. He says, you could persuade me that there was a creator who designed everything, but this is incompatible with the God who cares about your sin, what you do with your genitals, and what you think about. Translation, I wouldn't have such a problem with God if he didn't have such a problem with my sin. Ultimately, these questions are not settled for any of us by science alone. We all must take the logical, reasonable step of faith in order to build this worldview. And so let me ask this question. Looking at designer, what could we know about this God before we get to Genesis 1-1 just by looking at our universe, just by observing the heavens and the earth? What can we know about God? And I'll put to you today, because of the sheer size of our universe, because of the sheer size and magnitude of the universe, we are talking about a creator or a designer with unimaginable power and energy who is not rivaled by any human being. And we should probably approach this creator designer with a measure of humility. And then I put to you today as well, because of the scale and the complexity of our universe, both to the minor details of life on earth and the major details of life in our universe, we're talking about a creator or designer which must have an intelligence beyond anything we could even imagine or comprehend. And lastly, and maybe this is a stretch, but as I look at it, when you look aside from the complexity and aside from the size of our universe, when you look at all that we find, both way out there and right over here, it points to a creator with an understanding and at least an an understanding, probably an appreciation of beauty and creativity, which I think begins to point towards personality as well. And let me ask you today, even if you're not a Christ follower, what would be an appropriate response 
to a God like this. And I think we should all probably be quivering in our boots before such an incredible being if this was all we could know about him. Probably we'd need some sort of mediator because he's just so out of our league, which is where the Christian God seems to make so much sense to me. I'd love to point you, if that's you and you're grappling with this and something today is speaking to you where you want to know more, you've, you've got some questions that you need to settle. I'd love to point you to two resources, one by uh, N.T. Wright and the other one by C.S. Lewis, two books, uh, Simply Christian and uh, Mere Christianity. And really, C.S. Lewis first wrote Mere Christianity and then uh, decades later, uh, N.T. Wright was commissioned to kind of uh, take another stab at doing a modern version of the similar book, but they're both outstanding. And they answer many of the questions that I think maybe you're working through right now. To the Christ follower, what would be the appropriate response to a God like this? I put to you today, it's awe. Not as my friend Nikki says, aware, it's awe. And let me ask you this question. How is your or quotient. How is your or quotient? What are your or levels like right now, Christ follower? Man, it's been a tough 10 months. I get it. Not just do I sympathize, I feel it too. This, the, the storm of COVID kind of shrinks our worldviews right down to self-preservation and it brings us to a place where we can feel vulnerable and incredibly insecure. And we can start to think about life from a scarcity mindset. I know, but Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning, Elohim, plural, supreme and majestic God, created the entirety of all that is, speaks to us of a massive creator God. And when we look at creation, we find it naturally begin to happen, that our hearts begin to leap and expand as we take in awe and beauty and this does something profound in our souls and it's so important in a moment like ours. Paul Tripp, pastor whom I love to read, he says this as we're coming into land. He says, God created an awesome world. Not awesome like we talk about like had an awesome day, an awesome in the true sense of the word, world. God intentionally loaded the world with amazing things to leave you astounded the carefully air-conditioned termite mound in Africa, the tart crunchiness of an apple, think about it, the explosion of thunder, the beauty of an orchid, the independent systems of the human body, the inexhaustible pounding of the ocean waves and thousands of other created sights and sounds and touches and tastes. God designed it all to be awesome. And he intended you to be daily amazed. How is your awe quotient? And how are you this week? How are you this week going to do something to recover something of that awe and amazement? How are you going to fuel your awe this week? I'd love to commission us as Christ followers. Yes, there's a storm that's ravaging our world, our nation, our city, your world, my world. We need to step outside and look through the storm and see the wonder and the beauty of the world which God made and allow that to fuel awe and amazement which will enable us to face the storm in different ways. 
Today, more than anything, I've helped to strengthen your faith, to bolster you with courage and to cause awe to flourish in your heart. I wanna say, lift your eyes to see the God who is the grand, great, sovereign God of everything that is. Our God is large and in charge. And this COVID storm, friends, like every other storm, it will pass. But this creator God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And and he can anchor your soul in the middle of this moment. So let's not lose sight of how amazing God is. This creator God who began it all with a trajectory in mind who knows exactly who you are and what you're going through and is watching over our lives. Let's walk outside tomorrow. Let's plan intentionally this week to take in something of this creation that he made in order to fuel awe in our hearts and renew our perspective to face all of these things. As we come into land, I'd love to invite you especially if you're a visitor looking in, to come on a journey with us over the next six weeks as we answer questions like, who is God? What can we know about him? Who are we as human beings? And what are we to do? And where do we fit in in our world? As we grapple with what is wrong with our world and how it's gonna be put to rights. Let's pray together as we land. Father, I pray for two groups of people today. I pray for the skeptic, for the outsider, but, but who's asking questions and wanting to know more, who's realized that we're not as in control in life as we thought we are, and that there are big questions in our worldview that we need to settle. I pray for you right now. I pray, God, would you move in on that person? Would you pray that, say, God, I've got questions I need answers for. Over the coming weeks, would you speak to me, God? I know it can't all be about me. I wanna know more about the God who designed it all, who created it all. And so God, speak to me as I go on this journey. I wanna know more about you and more about what it is that you have for me. And then I pray for us as a church. I pray for us as Christ followers. God, the storm is real and it's painful and it's hard. But I pray you would give us strength by changing the perspective which we face these moments with, by enlarging our view of yourself and cause awe to well up from within us, God. Catch us, take our breath away in in moments as we go about life and bless our intentional efforts, Lord, as we go out into the world to recognize this wonderful, beautiful, incredible creation designed to draw our hearts toward you. And as we do so, God, meet us, I pray. I pray you would put fresh faith right now into the hearts of Christ's followers needing strength, grace and peace and strength that comes from all to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.